Well, good morning, church. You know, September 1st marked a year that I've officially been here as a pastor at Coy Rock Church. And I... For any of you who came in um, in this past year, then you may not know uh, the story of this church as much. But, but something that is really, really cool to me is that the pastor who planned this church, his name was Milt. And one of the things I was so blessed by is that in taking over this church, I, I was able to step into a church where people are awesome. People are loved, and ultimately the leader was someone who really wanted to pass things on well. And I still cherish the conversations I get to have with Milt. I even got to see him a few weeks ago. Many of you did as well when he gets to come back from Alaska. But I am just so thankful that this church was led by someone who really, really strove in everything they did to pass things on well. Because something that I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who lead well in a moment and then don't pass it on well. Like, there's a lot of people who will do things well here, but then the next generation or the person after them ends up failing because that leader only cared about leading their things well and didn't want to pass anything else on well. And so to me, one of the things I've found in life, I love to watch leaders who the next generation did just as good as them. I love to watch leaders who, whose sons and daughters grew up and did the same thing they did because they love watching their dad or their mom do things so well. Someone who I, who I love loved to read about is a guy by the name of William Wilberforce, who was a politician who was basically the force behind slavery ending in England, which ultimately led to slavery ending here in America. And what I love to look at, though, is his kids. Because William Wilberforce was a guy who claimed to love Jesus, but you see that lived out in the fact that almost every single one of his sons went into ministry because they were so touched by his dad. It was such a real thing in their life. I think that, that multiplying and passing things on well is something that is so important in the church today. It's so important as believers. The fact is each and every one of us are called to pass something on. We're called to pass on our faith. We're called to live out the Great Commission and the Great Commandment by loving God and loving other people and then going and spreading that love with others around us. And I think there's no better place to do that than the local church. I love being a part of a church that has a multiplication mindset. If you don't know, this church was started because someone three or four generations ago said, hey, let's start a church. And they said, hey, this church is awesome, but let's continue it on. Let's not just stay here. Let's plant another church. And then that church said, hey, let's plant another church. And now we're here in this church today because multiple generations have not said, hey, I want to hold on to this. They said, oh, let's pass it on. That's why we as a church are committed to, to multiplying ourselves. And one of those places we want to do that is in Crook, South Dakota, because there's no churches within the city limit, and it's something we've been praying about for a while, that we want to see a church planted there. It's something we're really striving towards right now, because we believe that anything that God gives us is not just to stay here, but when we have an open hand, God will multiply it in mighty ways. But I think one of the, the most important places that we get to multiply as believers is in our family. I mean, not just having kids, but ultimately, how many of you have seen that the things that happen in you kind of show themselves in your kids? Have you guys ever seen that? Like, you ever see the bad stuff happen? Like, where you're like, where did you get that attitude? And then you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was me, wasn't it? Like, the other day I was hanging out with my daughter, and, you know, all of a sudden something got spilled. Daddy was angry. So Daddy goes, 
Dang it! Shouldn't have said that in front of my kid. But my all of a sudden, my daughter just goes, Dang it! Which I love because my, my son gets very upset when, when things get loud. He takes it personally. My daughter does not take it personally. She just assumes that whatever I'm mad at, she needs to be mad at too, even though it was the mess that she made. So she was just right there with me like, I got you back, Dad! I'm mad about it too! Like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, thank you. <laughs> see, the thing is, we have an incredible chance to see our... See ourselves multiplied in a sense through our kids what god does in us we get to pour into our kids and we get to see god do amazing things through them and they get to do amazing things and we get to have an impact that goes on for generations this week i was talking with a group of dads in my life group and we're talking about that fact of how cool it is to get to pray with our kids and eric was talking to me about his son has learned the prayer that he prays over his son. Now he, he will pray over his younger brother and pray the same prayer over him. And how cool that is to see that continuing on. There's something amazing when we get to see God work through us and work in our kids in a mighty way. And I, and I believe that what happens in our families is so incredibly important to God because it's the area where we get to see the most multiplication. We get to see ourselves reproduce in such an amazing way. The fact is, our families can reproduce the good or they can reproduce the God in us. And that depends largely on our choices, on how we choose to build our family. So I think this series is so incredibly important today. And so today we're going to just set up a groundwork for this series as we look at how do we build a family that's centered on God, that's doing things God's way. So if, if you join me, we're going to start our things off with a word of prayer today. God, so incredibly grateful for you. Grateful that you've called us to something greater than ourselves. And so for each of us today to consider ourselves fully devoted followers of you, God, I pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts to have you at the center, to work in our hearts to have a desire to see what you've done in us reproduce in others. And God, I pray over all the families that are represented here today. That as we come humbly before your word and seek to learn from it, God, that we would start to see you reproduce more and more in our families each and every day. God, I pray for all of the strife, all of the pain, all of the sadness that's going on in our world, especially in our families, and for every single family that has pain, separation, anxiety, brokenness going on. God, I want to thank you that you're a God that meets us in the midst of our brokenness. So God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just fall in this place, that there would just be a supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. That would start to work in our hearts and our minds. And God, I pray for I pray that you continue to heal us and draw us closer and closer to you. Thank you that you're a God that meets us right where we're at. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. In Colombia in the 1950s, there was a little girl by the name of Marina Chapman. This is a story you can look up. She actually has a book you can read. Marina was a little girl when she was kidnapped. She was so little that she doesn't really know much about it. She just knows that she was taken. And she doesn't completely understand why because she was still very, very, very little. But for whatever reason, her kidnappers decided maybe they weren't going to get a ransom or whatever it was, and they decided to just leave her alone in the jungle ultimately leaving her to die. The thing was, Marina didn't die. As she was laying there, a hungry little girl, not knowing what's going on in the world, being too young to speak or have any real cognitive skills, 
she suddenly was stumbled upon by a group of monkeys. And this group of monkeys became of interest to this little girl who suddenly wanted to be around the monkeys. And of course, they didn't want her around. They were kind of violent towards her, but she just kept coming back and coming back and following them to the point where she was actually kind of adopted by this group of monkeys. Like literally, she just kind of would learn and do whatever they did to the point where they kind of adopted her into the family. And it kind of became, as the old phrase goes, monkey see, monkey do. And so Marina started to do whatever the monkeys would do. If they would eat over here, she would eat over here. So she would eat the things that they would eat. She would follow them around to the point where she learned how to be a monkey pretty well. Monkey see, monkey do. She just kept doing whatever they did to the point where as she grew up and her cognitive abilities grew, she believed she was a monkey. Because that's all she had ever seen. Until one day, she was walking around and she sees something shiny. And as monkeys do, she went to investigate it. Of course, she picked it up and tried to bite it, see if it was food, as monkeys do. wasn't food. So she began to look at it more closely. And suddenly, she saw a pair of eyes looking back at her. Of course, assuming that it must be alive, she dropped it and ran away. But of course, as monkeys do, she got curious again and went to investigate. She picked up what we would know as a mirror that had somehow been dropped in the jungle. And soon she began to investigate it and she realized by looking around that it was reflecting everything she could see behind her. And suddenly after a little bit, she suddenly realized that this thing, this mirror, was reflecting her image. She suddenly could see what she looked like and in that moment it clicked for her that she wasn't a monkey. That she was different than everything else around her. And after that moment, there was a group of hunters in the woods and she was able to be rescued and able to be adopted and continue on with her life. But it was that moment of looking in the mirror that made her realize that she was different than everything else around her. That she wasn't what she had been copying. She was called to be something different. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord who is the Spirit. The thing is, we live in a world of monkey see, monkey do sometimes. There's so many things in our culture that we tend to pick up. Characteristics of the world around us until we start to believe that that's who we are. Until the moment that we pick up the mirror of God's Word, the mirror of a relationship with Him, and suddenly we're transformed. We start to realize that we're called to something different. We're called to be more than just what we see around us. We're called to be more than someone who just mirrors culture. We're called to something greater. We're called to live in the image of God, according to His Word, according to what He's called us to be. And see, in our world today, we've seen a pretty big shift in our culture. For anyone who's over a certain age, you probably look at the world that you grew up in versus the world we live in today, and a lot of things have shifted. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to morals, when it comes to even just the way that we do things in our government... There's a lot of things that used to be very centered, at least claimed to be very centered on God's Word. And now, today, would be considered pretty hostile to God's Word. 
We no longer live in a world that holds the ideals of Jesus, but instead is increasingly against it. The church is no longer going with the flow, or excuse me, the world is no longer going with the flow of Christianity. Instead, the flow is going against Christianity. It's going against being a follower of Jesus. And eventually, we can find ourselves in this world of monkey see, monkey do, and everything around us can start to inform our ideas of life and the world. I remember this one moment when I was growing up and I was hanging out in the ocean at the beach with my parents. All of a sudden had this moment where I look up and the the chair and the towel that we had put right here, kind of right here on the beach is gone. It's someone else's chair and someone else's towel. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Until suddenly I look a little bit and I see down the beach, there's my parents, my towel, my chair. Little did I know that as I was playing, I was slowly getting pulled away, moment by moment. Each time I'd jump up, each time I would do something, I was slowly getting pulled in a direction, and I had no idea. I think the same thing is true with our culture. The fact is, we can slowly be being pulled away from what God has called us to be, and we have no idea. And I think the biggest place we can see this is in our families. Fact is, in our world today, there's a redefinition of family, marriage, gender. There's a glorification of choice and sexuality. There's a lot of things when it comes to our families. When our kids go to school, when our what, our, what we watch as a family, there's things all around us that are slowly informing us of, of different ideas. This current that's coming at us that's slowly taking us a direction that's away from God's purpose for our life. The question then is, what are we going to do about it? I think what we have to do is we have to take stock of what things are pressuring us and choose what it is that we're going to stand on. As Rochelle already shared this morning, Joshua 24, verse 15, where Joshua speaks saying, But if serving the Lord seems seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, and you finish it, church, we will serve the Lord Lord as for me and my house. If that's something that we choose to do within our homes, then there's a a few things that I think we have to understand. The, The first is this. In this series... This isn't necessarily about dismantling cultural ideas, but instead it's about identifying what God's Word says and inviting us to stand on His way, to stand on the rock of Jesus. And the first thing we have to understand is that your family has a purpose. Turn to someone around you and say, Your family has a purpose. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of... Male and female, and we see we see the creation of all things. And something we have to understand about Genesis is that, although there's some things in there we can take about, okay, this is this is what it's saying about how the world was created. We have to understand it's a very poetic book. It's a very theological book. And over, overall, what Genesis is really trying to do is to give us a framework and a worldview and a theological understanding of who God is and what the problem in our world is and a a great understanding of who we are. See, Genesis is a story of God creating everything good, it being messed up by sin, 
And then God in Genesis saying, listen, I'm going to, in the midst of this brokenness, I'm going to come and meet you there. I'm going to help you find a way out of the brokenness. Ultimately, the story of the Bible is God creates man, we mess it up, and the rest of the Bible is God chasing after us. In Genesis 1, it says, So God created mankind in His own image. In, in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. There's a couple things I see about this. The first thing is this. That our families are really magnificent. The fact is, male and female together called to be fruitful and increase in number. Ultimately, one of the cool things is that we're creating God's image. Have you ever thought about that? Of all the animals, all the things, we, we have the image of God in us and on us, which is why I think families are under, under attack so much. Families who are seeking to be fruitful and multiply and continue on God's image, they're under attack. Because it's one, it, it is something that the devil absolutely hates. The devil tries in so many ways, especially the church. It seems like one of the biggest places he tries to throw punches is within Christian families. Because if he can split apart the families, he can split apart the church. Then we see the mandate of families. We're called to multiply and spread not just ourselves, but ultimately to spread God's image. Male and female were called, this is before the fall when God says this, to multiply and grow. Ultimately, we're called to multiply God's image. And the fact is, not only do we have the image of God in ourselves, when we have the Holy Spirit working in us, then we have God's Spirit living in us. And as we multiply as Christian families, not only through birth and through through children, but ultimately through the way that we treat other people, through people that we meet, other families that we bring to Christ, through kids that grow up learning about Jesus and seeing parents who aren't perfect but follow the one who is and then go in their own lives and seek to do the same thing, we start to see God's image getting spread and multiplied. See, the thing is, then in Genesis 2 it says that the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. Which, just side, sidebar, makes you wonder what Adam was doing. Like, what was he doing that God was like, okay, you can't be alone. All right. He says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then it continues on that God makes woman out of his rib and then says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of a man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We see the makeup of the first family. We see male and female coming together. I think that, that this thing that's created by God, first of all, that marriage and family, it wasn't necessarily our idea. This is God's. From the beginning, God said, nope, this is how you're going to do it. Come together within a marriage. And together, that's what, why I always find that when God is at the center of a marriage and a family, it's so much different because you're going back to God's design, to what He created, and suddenly you are truly becoming one flesh because you're walking with Jesus. What, what I find is that in any marriage where both sides are focusing on Jesus first, one of the things I pray for couples all the time is that God would draw them both closer and closer to Him, to God, and in that draw them closer and closer to each other. So often we try to grow as couples or families or whatever relationships, but when we put God first... All of a sudden, we find ourselves growing closer and closer because we're drawing closer and closer to Jesus. See, 
a couple of things that are just really important we see in the Bible that family and marriage are not human constructs, but they've been ordained by God. We see that of all the living things, that human life is the most sacred. We see that it's good and blessed to multiply. You know, the thing is, there, there's a lot of things out there about the earth being too overpopulated. The fact is, it really isn't. But the fact is, we have the capacity in our world that if, if no one is greedy or anything like that, that we have the capacity for everybody to have enough. In fact, there, there's plenty of space. They've actually, in our world, we're coming to a birth crisis in some countries. The need for, for more couples to multiply. See, the human family has been created by God. It's been designed and destined to reflect God's image and glory on earth, to carry forth His rule and reign through community, multiplication and governance, and to the flourishing of all things. I love that quote. The human family has been created by God to go and to the flourishing of all things. God wants to use your family to spread His image, to spread His love, to, to show His glory to the world around you. Now that was really great, right? But there's, there's a but. Right up here. Some of you got it right here. You're thinking it. But, have you met my family? But, there's divorce in my family. But, there's brokenness in my family. But, there's addiction in my family. But, my family just sucks as people. I don't see a lot of God's glory in my family. My family's already had brokenness going on, so does that mean I can't have God's image later on? The fact is, some of our most glorious, amazing moments of God, I think, can be in the context of family, but some of our biggest wounds can be in family as well. Some of our most sleepless nights have come from family, especially if you're parents with teenagers. Some of the biggest stress... Family. See, the thing is, the reason for that is because God has a plan for your family, but your family has a problem. Some of you are like, ah, my family has lots of problems. Actually, your family has one problem. The problem of sin. In Genesis, we see in chapter 3, it says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first moment of shame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And as they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the first marital fight of the Bible starts now. And the man said, The woman you put me in, put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Man, sin enters... Two seconds later, there's a fight. How do you think that went? The mo- I mean, right after God maybe left or, or went on His way, like, um, excuse me? That I gave you? You were there too. Like, it, 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 immediately you see this. You see shame. You see blame. You see depravity. You see destruction. A couple chapters later, we have Cain and Abel, brothers killing each other. And since then, the rest of Genesis 
Have anybody ever like read all of Genesis? Anybody? Um, there's some crazy stuff in there. To anyone who's ever said, some scholars have said that maybe that that the Jewish people wrote that later on as kind of a way to show themselves as the messianic people, to show themselves as the chosen people of God. I don't know, man. If I was writing that to show how good my nation was, I don't think I'd write some of those stories. There's some crazy stuff in there. There's a lot of brokenness in there because what I love, the ultimate story of Genesis is that God works in brokenness. I was talking to someone this week about that, about how about how Judah is one of those people who does some really stupid, terrible stuff. And then later Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. Like, that's kind of, I don't know, it almost seems a little disrespectful to Jesus. Because the fact is, God works well in brokenness. The story of Genesis is that, the, really the story of the whole Old Testament is that people are broken. And what I love about the Bible is that we see that God works well with broken. God works in the midst of broken. And that is the crazy cool thing. Because because of that, our families have hope. Amen. His name is Jesus. So what do we do? With this brokenness, what is our hope? Well, the temptation is that if the world is broken, if culture is pulling us away from God, if this current is pushing us this way, then the temptation is this. Well, i got to swim against the current, right? I remember growing up on swim team, we would practice in this pool area that had a, had a pretty elaborate... Uh, system of different pools and water park uh, attractions. And one of the things they had was a lazy river. I remember sometimes for practice, I think because we were just messing around, she'd say, hey, go swim the opposite way in the lazy river. Okay. So we'd go in there and start swimming. I remember it it would just, man, you'd feel like you were just going. You know, back then I I was a decent swimmer. And you'd feel like, man, I'm just, I'm going to get the, you could feel yourself moving. I, I knew I was making ground. And then you get up and you stand up and I made it. One foot. But I remember there was this area in the center of the Lazy River as you'd go around where you'd kind of you'd kind of have to grab onto and sometimes the river would kind of pull you past it and you had to grab on really quick and pull yourself in. But once you came into this little oasis area in the middle, there was no current. There was seats. There was really peace. It was such a peaceful place in the center of this current there was this peace, place of peace and rest. The fact is, I, I think as Christians in the same way, we're not called to swim against the current because anytime you swim against the current, first of all, you don't make a lot of progress. You end up bumping into other people along the way. But instead, I think really the call of the Bible is that we're invited not to just go against the current, to be opposite of the world. We're called to stay on the rock of Jesus. We're called to step out of the current onto the rock. We're called not just to go against in the opposite of what the world says, but to truly stand on Jesus. And naturally, we'll start to look different than the rest of the world. And in Matthew seven twenty four, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, they'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. As we look into the mirror 
as we read earlier, of God's Word, we start to see this new image of who we are in Christ. And we're invited in the Bible to lay our foundation on Jesus. In our families, we're invited to lay our foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 12, there's a verse that oftentimes doesn't get talked about because it feels like kind of a weird moment. Verse 46, Jesus, it says, while Jesus was talking to the crowd, it says, His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to Him. And someone told Him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And He replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to His disciples, He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And sometimes we look at that and we think, okay, is Jesus rejecting his earthly family? No, we see all throughout the rest of the Gospels that Jesus, man, he loved, even on the cross, he was trying to make sure his mother was taken care of. He says to John, make, take care of her, please. This moment is really a moment of Jesus not rejecting his family, but inviting us into his he says, any of you who do my will are my mother and my brothers. You're a part of my family. See, Jesus doesn't just want to mildly transform your family or make your family into the kind that maybe goes to church a little bit more than everybody else or maybe is a little kinder than everyone else or make your family the kind that is a little bit less likely to get divorced. But instead... What Jesus wants to do is be at the center of your family, inviting you into His world, His family. He wants to be at the very center. He wants you to build everything on Him. He wants to put everything that's broken about your family right. See, the secret to a flourishing family and a flourishing life is to invite God back into the rightful place at the center of it. When we have Jesus at the center of our families, it changes everything. See, we often think, as I said before, that following God is about doing the opposite of culture. It's about swimming against the current. We often think that holiness is doing the opposite of sin. Especially when it comes to our kids and our families. You know, uh, if, our, if our son's stealing, we want him to stop stealing. If our daughter is on drugs, then we want her to stop doing drugs. Right? And those, are great, those are great things to want for your children, for them not to do those things. But so often we think of holiness as being the opposite of sin. We, we think of people who have same-sex attraction. The, the opposite of that then would be if they would go marry someone of the opposite of sex. Like that, That's what will make them holy before God. But there, there's a, a quote that just changed everything for me. There's a pastor who she grew up in a very rough time, rough lifestyle. Because of that she... Had, had same-sex attractions and, and was, was in multiple relationships with other women, when suddenly God met her in the midst of that and drew her to Himself, and now she has a much different life, and, and it's absolutely amazing. But there, there's a quote that she says. I want you to just listen to this for a second and hang in there with me. She said this. She said, I know now what I didn't know then, that God was not calling me to be straight. Hang in there with me. He says, He was calling me to Himself. 
The choice to lay aside sin and take hold of holiness was not synonymous with heterosexuality. From my prior understanding of God, as told by the few Christians I'd met, to choose God would be to inevitably choose men too. Even if my liking of them became a way for me to chase away the gayness without God's help. I figured that's what would please Him most. That when he looked at me, he saw a wife before he saw a disciple. But God was not a Las Vegas chaplain or an impatient mother intent on sending a man my way to cure me of my homosexuality. He was God. A God after my whole heart, desperate to make it new, committed to making it like him. In my becoming holy as he is, I would not be miraculously made into a woman that didn't like women. I'd be made into a woman that loved God more than anything. See, that's the key sometimes, I think, in our families. So often we look and we go, okay, well, we just got to do the opposite of what the world does. Or go to church a little bit more. Or maybe for our kids, well, just they're doing that. Well, then get them to stop doing that. But see, the thing is this. There are straight kids who are far from God. There are sober kids who are far from God. There are straight-A students who are far from God. There, there are kids all over. There are people all over who have all the right ideas, so, if you, so to speak. They are far from God because the only thing that makes us close to God is when we have Jesus in our life and He is the center of everything. That's the only way anything changes. Amen. It's by Jesus working that our families are transformed. So if we have brokenness in our family, it's not about trying to be unbroken. It's about coming before God and being broken before Him. Because when we're broken before Him and He's at the center, it changes everything. See, it's following Jesus that makes me holy. It's the process of holiness that leads me to sin less, not sinning less that makes me holy. In our families, each and every one of us have things that don't look like God. Things that are broken, things that we want to change and fix. But the best thing we can do is make a commitment as a family to say, God, we want to have you at the center no matter what. In everything that we do, how can we put you at the center and have you be our hope? That's what creates a family that truly is healed. That's what creates a family that in the midst of brokenness has life and hope and joy. That's what changes everything. See, not only does your family have hope, your family can be hope because when our everything is centered on Jesus, our everything starts to change And when Jesus gets your family, your family will start to be healthier. But what's so cool about Jesus, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever studied history? Jesus doesn't like to stay in boxes. My goodness. It's like someone gets saved and really gets on fire for Jesus. And then it just spreads. That's like what world history is. Every single time someone goes, man, I'm going to squash those Christians. It just can't be squashed because when someone really loves Jesus, when Jesus is the center of everything, it's just contagious. Like it just spreads from family to family to family. When Jesus gets your family, your family gets better. Your family gets healthier, and then suddenly your neighborhood gets better. Because you're a better neighbor. You're a more loving person. Your community gets better. Your county gets better. Your city gets better. And thing is, I've often heard it said that revival in the in the world, in our country, doesn't start with the White House. It starts with our house. When we have houses that worship Jesus and have Him at the center, it changes the world around us. Revival doesn't come from evangelists. 
as much, I believe, as it come from healthy families that have Jesus at the rightful place in their home, at the center. The fact is, revival can start in your family, revival can start in your community, in your world, by simply saying, God, we want to have you at the center. Looking at your family and saying, how can we have God? Whatever it is, no matter how broken, no matter what's going on in your world, if we have Jesus at the center, it changes everything. And that's my invitation today, whether it's for yourself or your family, to make the commitment to make Jesus at the center. Maybe if you've never made that commitment to say, God, I want to have you at the center of my life. I want you to have everything. Maybe today's that day. Maybe for your family it's a moment to say, God... I want you to have everything. I want everything in our world to be centered on you. I want my kids to know you. Even though they may be grown up and out of the house, God, I want them to know you. Because the fact is, nothing is too late for God. No matter how messed up it is, it may say, no, God, they're too far gone. No one's too far gone for God. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And in a moment here, I want to give us the opportunity to take communion. I think it's fitting as we talk about Jesus being at the center that we have the opportunity to take communion to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what He did on the cross. Jesus took the bread and the wine with His disciples and said, this is my body and my blood. My blood's been spilled for you for your sins and my body will be broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And every time we do, we're reminded of the body of Jesus, that Jesus came down. He didn't just talk about how much he loved us. He came down to us and met us where we were at, in a body that was broken for us. We're also reminded of the the blood that was spilled by Jesus for our sins, because every time that we drink the cup, we're reminded of the fact that that Jesus drank the wrath of our sin that we no longer have any condemnation, but when we come and we confess our sins, God is just and righteous to forgive them because of the blood of Jesus. And so as we take the the bread and the blood in a moment, if you're anyone who's a a believer in Jesus, a follower of Him, we want to invite you. You're more than welcome to join us. But as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give us a moment just to confess. And confession is so important before we take communion, but also it's important, I think, today as we talk about Jesus being at the center. We take a moment where we just talk to God. If God is prompting you in any area, that maybe there's an area where He's not the center, or maybe you, you've not been following Him completely, I'm just going to pause for a moment. I'm just going to give you a moment just to talk to Him and, and ask for forgiveness. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the moments that you haven't been number one in my life. I'm sorry for the things that I put at the center instead of you. I'm sorry for the areas that I haven't been living right, the areas that I've fallen. God, I, I ask for forgiveness and I thank you for what your word says. That you're faithful to give us forgiveness. That when we confess our sins, our sins are as far as the east is from the west. That when you look at us, you see the blood of Jesus and nothing else. So God, I thank you that we we stand on that promise today. And for any of us who have come and confessed, God, thank you that we are forgiven right now. 
And God, as we come to You now in a moment to say thank You for who You are as we continue to worship by taking communion, God, I pray over what we're about to take. It wouldn't just be a moment where we have a nice snack, but God, that we truly would have an experience with You. Being reminded of who You are and how great and amazing You are. God, would You meet us in this place? And for all of our families, I just pray that Your Spirit would fall in a mighty way. And that we start to see life change in ways that we hadn't even thought possible. God, You are so good and amazing and incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.